Hello, everyone, and welcome to our program. We're so glad that you've joined us for another episode here of the ADRA Canada Insider. And today we have with us, uh, well, who do we have around the table? Maybe you can introduce yourselves and so we, everybody knows who we have today. Well, I'm Michael, and I'm back again. You are a real regular here, Michael. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So here I am again. That's great. <laughs> and uh, right beside you, we have someone for the first time on the podcast. Uh, maybe... Yes, it's my very first podcast. My name's Crystal. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do here, Crystal. I started here in 2015 as the Supporter Relations Assistant. My main role is the processing of donations and receiving. But as of April 1st, I am now the fundraising coordinator. Oh, congratulations. You just changed positions <laughs> yes, or changed it. And uh, our constituents, our, our listeners, our donors should know that sometimes uh, when they call in with uh, one of their donations or one of their questions, they might be talking to you, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you speak French. Okay. So if someone calls in and uh, the receptionist can't understand a word mm-hmm. they're saying, yep. they pass the Ask for Crystal. Yes. yes. Before you came to ADRA, Crystal, what, what were you doing before ADRA? I worked for a telecommunications company. I was providing OnStar services okay. to French subscribers. So if someone was in trouble on the highway mm-hmm. and they pressed their little button on the yes. top of their car, yeah. they might hear you, especially if they were French. Yes, if they were French and they had an emergency or if they were in an accident, I would yeah. be on the other line. Okay, so you have a lot of experience of talking to people. I do. That's great. <laughs> well, we, we thank you for helping us at the uh, podcast today. Uh, Kayla, who is normally in your chair, is off today in Vancouver. Uh, at a Mm -hmm. trade show. And sitting in our guest chair today, we have Anita back with us. We've just recently heard from her as she told us about her visit to Yemen and the uh, situation there in Bangladesh. But we wanted to have her back again because of World Refugee Day, which is this month, uh, June 20 is World Refugee Day. And I know that Anita, as she travels the world, interacts with a lot of refugees. And so we wanted to have her in today and talk about that. I think all of us who travel, Michael, you have have been in a lot of camps uh, where there are refugees and as I travel as well. I wouldn't uh, say a lot of camps compared to uh, yourself, Frank and Anita, (laughs) but I've been in a number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just recently in Uganda and met uh, refugees that had uh, recently fled from the Congo. Are those ones in camps as well or are they in settlements? In, In Uganda, most of the people... Uh, at least eventually end up in what we call refugee settlements, where the government of Uganda is giving them a little piece of land where they can grow some vegetables and that type of thing to feed their family. So it's it's a better situation in Uganda than most places where we interact with refugees. So good job, Uganda. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you on behalf of Uganda. <laughs> and thank you for having me on this podcast. Always happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. All right. World Refugee Day. And uh, so let's maybe just talk a little bit about refugees. Uh, When you go to the website at the United Nations and uh, start looking for stats, uh, it's pretty alarming. Currently, well, they kind of combine refugees and IDPs. Maybe you could tell us what's the difference between a refugee and an IDP? IDP stands for Internally Displaced Persons or people, and uh, the difference between the two is IDPs are in the country. They are, for example, Ugandans who have um, experienced maybe civil 
crisis in one part of Uganda or disease and move within Uganda, within their home country, to another area that is safer. Mm. But refugees move outside the border of their country. When you cross the border for humanitarian purposes, then you are a refugee. Okay. But in either case, people are displaced. In either case, people are displaced. They are displaced within or without their country. Yes. And uh, so when you combine all the numbers from civil conflict, natural disasters, or as you say, disease, and different reasons, the number is around 68 million at the moment. That's wow. a huge number. But it's a lot of people. A lot of people. Yes. Well, that, think about it. That's double the population of Canada. Oh, true. wow. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Yeah. So, that many people. So imagine Canada times two being displaced. Yeah. And when you're displaced, most of the time you don't have the basic needs of life, food, water, shelter, clothing, mm -hmm. or you don't have enough at least. Yes, because mm -hmm. often when you are leaving, you're leaving in a crisis, in a hurry, shelling is happening on your yeah. home, and yeah. so you don't have time to put a, a suitcase together hardly, no. and so you're, you're running for your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, working for an agency like ADRA, we have the opportunity to save lives as people are arriving in refugee camps, we can provide some of the basic needs. Mm -hmm. And as a faith-based organization, I believe it's very appropriate for ADRA to be involved in the refugee. It doesn't say refugee in the Bible. It usually refers to them as the stranger. And so mm -hmm. all of those references that you have read about in the Bible over the years, uh, welcome the stranger, these are the people that are fleeing a, a dangerous situation in their homeland and have come into your country, and God asks us to take care of them. Another term I read was migrants, mm. and what the difference is between a refugee and a migrant. The difference between a migrant and a refugee would be a refugee is someone that's been forced from their home, whereas a migrant is somebody that has chosen to leave their home for a, looking for a better life. Mm -hmm. So whether it's somebody um, that's just in a poorer country looking to maybe go to Canada because they hear there's better opportunity there, that person would be a migrant. Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody that's been forced out of Syria, for example, due to war, they are a refugee. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I, I would like to just jump on that because when we were in Colombia recently meeting the refugees there, I guess that's what makes them refugees, mm -hmm. is that they, had no, they felt they had no choice. Right. It's a humanitarian crisis in their country, but they were moving because they needed to at least find money to buy food for their children. Right. Mm -hmm. I have also met people who have migrated by choice, in quotes, but they felt they had absolutely no choice. Mm -hmm. If they stayed in their country because of economic reasons, they would have died. Mm -hmm. I've met people who, who say, I will take that illegal ship because I have absolutely no choice. Right. If I stay in my country, I'm going to die. I haven't had work for one year. I have nowhere to stay. I'm being kicked out of my rental house. So I would rather die trying. Mm -hmm. And those are migrants. We yeah. call them migrants. So I, I feel like the, the term migrant versus refugee can be very interchangeable. And it's kind of a it's fuzzy a area. Because that somebody can be an economic refugee. Right. Like mm -hmm. like you're saying, they yeah. they will not survive if they stay there. There is no war 
there might not be a natural disaster, mm -hmm. but if they stay there, they will be in trouble. They will not survive. Yeah, so and the word choice, have, yeah, choice is uh, relative. Yes, it may seem that they are making a choice, but really, sometimes they have no choice. One of the refugees from the Congo that I spoke to a few weeks back, when I asked her, "What would you like people to know about being a refugee?" she said, "They should know we didn't have a choice." Correct. And she wanted to make that point. We didn't have a choice. We weren't just trying to find a better job somewhere mm -hmm. or a better house somewhere. And that's why we left. We left because the soldiers were coming into our village killing mm -hmm. with guns. That's what she wanted to share, that uh, being a refugee is not something that people do by choice. Correct. And you know, that's something that scares me a little bit because it could happen to anyone. It really could. Of us at any time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when I still have the opportunity to help someone who is in that situation, I should, I must. Because, mm. you know, we don't know where the dice will fall, but it could be anywhere at any time, mm -hmm. at any place. Because if you think about it, there's technically been internally displaced people here in Canada, like Fort McMurray Correct. in 2016. Yeah. Those people were internally displaced. Technically, if they had crossed the border, they would have been refugees, but... Right. Canada's a big country, so they were internally displaced. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah. And thank God for the systems in Canada where the government will provide hotels. <laughs> Canadians will donate millions so that people are given mm -hmm. cash to be able to access basic needs of life. But some of the poorer countries, the government oh, goes yeah. into crisis mode. Mm -hmm. the, the social systems just aren't there. Social systems aren't there, so people suffer a little more. All right. Well, today we're talking about the situation that has been happening uh, over many years now, but has come to a crisis in Venezuela. And we wanted to focus on that today because we really haven't been hearing too much in the news about Venezuela. And yet we know that there is an estimated 3.5 million people who have been displaced. And so we want to draw the, uh, some attention to the crisis that is happening there. And we wanted to have you come down, Anita, because you have uh, recently visited the region and have worked with people who are actually refugees from Venezuela. So maybe we can talk a little bit about the problems in Venezuela that have caused this crisis. Uh, maybe I'll open it up to the table here. Who can tell us of what is going on in Venezuela? Well, Venezuela... It was formerly a wealthy country. They have a lot of... One of the reserves. most wealthy yeah. in it Latin is. America. Yeah. yeah. They and used to be a donor country. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. They were a donor country. There's a leader there that has been in for a while. And recently, 2013, was when things really started going downhill for the country. Because he died. Chavez died. After 14 years, the... The longest leader, he died. Right. And vice president took Maduro over. Maduro took over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in mm -hmm. 2013, Maduro became the leader. And from then, in the inflation rate within the country has just been going mm. crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was 2016, the inflation rate was 800%. Mm -hmm. And the, just last year, the inflation rate has hit 80,000%. Mm. Wow. We can't insane. imagine. Which doesn't even make any yeah. sense. Yeah, like, it doesn't make sense. So yeah. what was $1 before is now only worth... 
I remember hearing yeah. stories Nothing. about people during World War II going yeah. with wheelbarrows full of cash mm. to buy some bread. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah. yeah, so that's basically the situation in Venezuela like yes. r- right now. I've I've seen some photos of the amount that is needed to buy bread, for example, mm-hmm. and it is just stacks and stacks yeah. of cash. Mm-hmm. In fact, I understand from uh, friends there now that there's no uh, local currency in circulation. Because you won't carry a truckload yeah. of money to buy bread. Right. So there's no... So what do they use? They Is are using USD mostly US dollars and bank transfers. Mm. Yeah, just bank transfers, so virtual money. When I was in Colombia, we had we went to the streets one evening just to, to walk around. And there were many refugees from Venezuela who were using the money of Venezuela as their canvas for painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were making bags, money. several, several things. Yeah, I might yeah. have the pictures wow. here. Several things made from the money. And, and, and I've they, heard they've sell, they're selling this money as souvenirs. As souvenirs, yeah. yes. Yeah, because huh. they say the worthless money of Venezuela and mm. then they're using it as the background for painting and for making different mm. arts and crafts. Mm. I was also told by, by a friend that they entered a shop once to buy something and uh, they, the price on the item was, say, 100000 By the time they reached the counter, the guy said it's now 150000 yeah, because was... it has gone up just like that. So the, the value of the money has gone down. The systems, um, health care, there's no medicine. Right. One of my friends is a doctor. She said there's no medicine at all there's in no the hospital. There's no money to pay in the, the hospitals. There's no money to pay, to pay them. School, because of the civil unrest, has been on hold for several months now. Children are not going to school at all, except in the private schools, which are trying to keep something going. So the basics of life have been taken away from the people of Venezuela. Well, I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just on uh, a website right now, it's, yeah. uh, NBC News, and there's there's a comparison. So they have different everyday items, mm. and then next to it is the stack of cash needed to mm-hmm. buy. Yeah. And so a roll of toilet paper needs 2.6 million bolivars. What? Mm. Ridiculous. Wow. So yeah, maybe we can. And that's one roll. Yeah, we'll have to link to that. That's amazing. That's that's one roll of toilet paper. If you want two point two pounds of tomatoes, it's going to cost you five million bolivars. Mm. Yeah, Mm. which really only equals seventy six cents in American money. But to these people who are still getting the same wage as they were before this inflation, Mm -hmm. it's impossible. Or less. Yeah, it's it's impossible if they have jobs at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so crime increases in such situations. And makes it even further unsafe. And then there's been a lot of uh, protests and riots Mm -hmm. in the country. So the country's been very unstable. And yet the political leadership is not allowing humanitarian organizations to come into the country. Is that correct? Correct. And Mm -hmm. they are denying that any of this is happening. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Recently, uh, probably about three months ago, I know the United States had sent a few truckloads of aid into the country and all the trucks were burned at the border so that's and and this was by government troops so as soon as they got to the border they were all lit on fire each side is blaming the other right Mm -hmm. yeah very sad so the whole situation is just just, incredibly upsetting what what are some of the countries that the people are fleeing to the largest population of um, refugees from venezuela is in colombia Mm -hmm. And the reason about 1. for that, 1 million, is it? Yeah, more than 1 million. 
refugees. They, they've had a relationship because when Colombia was in crisis, didn't the Colombians they fled, fled to, Venezuela. to Venezuela? Yes. Okay. There's a good relationship between Venezuela and Colombia. When we were there with our friends from Venezuela, the Colombia country director said, "Colombia embraces you." Venezuela, our brothers and sisters. And we saw that on the streets as well. One uh, Sabbath morning, we started on Friday evening and said, this Sabbath, we are going to be the sermon. We planned to go to church, but then we got overwhelmed. We ended up not going to, you know, the church structure, the building. So all of us went out with uh, several items looking for Venezuela refugees to give a sweater, to give a coat, bread, because you can spot them on the streets, they're homeless. And so many of them told us that they survive by begging and that the Colombia people are really kind and friendly. They will provide a meal. The restaurants, you can, if you go to the restaurants in the evening, they'll give them the leftover food. Colombia people are, are being very hospitable and kind to Venezuela refugees. For example, they are trying to provide affordable accommodation, which is not affordable for the Venezuelans because they don't have the money. But a bed a night goes for 6,000 peso, which is about two and a half Canadian dollars. But what these people do is they beg the whole day or they try to buy a bag of sweets, divide it among themselves and sell the sweets. And uh, once they hit two and a half dollars for the day, they are praising God because they know that they can have a bed to sleep mm. for that night. But in the morning, they have to carry all their belonging again. Mm -hmm. So that is how it was easy for us to spot them because you'll see the people who have the stroller that has everything on it and on the sides or the people carrying suitcases around because during the day they move around with all their belongings looking for two and a half dollars for the night. Mm. Yeah. And what about food? If they, if they get enough for the night bed, what are they doing for food? Yeah, so the priority, like I was talking to one young mother, I think she was about 16. She looked quite undernourished. She had a one-year-old baby. She said her priority is money for the night, for accommodation. And then the next priority is food for the baby. And then she's the third. If she gets money, she puts it aside for accommodation. Mm. If she has no food, that's fine, as long as she has money for accommodation. Mm. But when they go to the restaurants to beg for food, usually people give mm. them food. I think accommodation is the number one thing because at night they're afraid of being attacked. Yes, trafficked. for safety reasons, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what is ADRA doing for these refugees that have come into Colombia? ADRA has a huge project. I think the first one was about 2.5 million, and the next one is about the same size. There's a big refugee camp that ADRA is a part of, uh, making sure that they provide the basic needs of life for these refugees. However, in Colombia. In Colombia. The camp is about eight hours away from Bogota, the capital city. We tried to, to give information to the refugees that we found to tell them about this project so that they can have shelter, they can have food, they can have hygiene items taken care of. But it is quite a distance. So I guess other organizations are providing transportation to take them to the camps because initially I understand from our colleagues of Adra Colombia that there were very many refugees in Bogota and then the government uh, designated a particular area where they are all going to go. 
just to keep the city a little safer mm-hmm. in terms of population. So that's where so the government... So this is something that's happening right now. This, this is camp something... is being set up and... Uh, yes, Organizations right are coming in and ADRA is a part of that. ADRA is a big part of that, providing help and support for the refugees. And we also are working with ADRA Guyana to put together a project that will support some of the Venezuela refugees that have moved to Guyana. The biggest challenge they have in Guyana is that they don't speak the language. Mm-hmm. Because Guyana is an English-speaking English-speaking country. country. And uh, they come with Spanish, so they're having even more challenges there. Mm. And it's a very remote uh, region there uh, on the border between Guyana and Venezuela. Yeah, Guyana, most of the population lives just on the coast, Mm. so the rest is just jungle. They're coming in at the border and just staying um, close to the border. Close to the border. I have heard that uh, there's also quite a few that have gone to Dominican Republic. Are are we helping Mm. uh, in the situation? No. But I met some who were going through Colombia to Peru. Yes, they're yes. in Peru too. Yeah. Ecuador. And all walking, you know, walking. 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 Because they don't have any money mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Even if yeah. they had a car before, they probably couldn't afford to fuel it up to fuel or get it out of the country. So. Mm. Yeah. So they were in Bogota saying they're going to rest for a couple of days and continue on. It's tough. I hear a lot of one gone to Spain too. Hmm. They must have. I mean, probably family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And interestingly, well, not so interesting, but we found some who were going back to Venezuela because they said they thought it was better going mm-hmm. out of Venezuela, but sleeping on the streets as bad as it was for them. They said they would rather go back and die at home. Mm. So we found oh. some of them, yeah, that wow. were going back. I couldn't imagine being faced with that choice. Yeah, exactly. Being in such a bad situation, you think you should leave, and then you realize right. that by leaving, yeah. you're it's just... not any better. It's not any at better. At least you can go home and die in your own home. Yes. I can imagine. That's yeah. yeah, it's really heartbreaking. tough. Heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And that's especially the ones who leave people behind, because they, they say, let me go, one or two of us, of a family. We get something, we'll send back to you. And they realize they can't get anything. They can't get anything. They can't anything. sell enough candy. They on can't the sell enough candy on the street. Yeah. There are no jobs. You know the Colombians themselves, uh, they are helping, but they can't help enough for the Venezuelans to have extra to send home. Something you said earlier, Anita, that when we start to ask questions about the causes, that you are not political. You just want to help people who are in need. If I see a person in need, it's better for me to just help them and support them in their need. The rest is for either the law to take charge or God to judge, because really God knows the heart. Yeah. And oftentimes what is in the news might not be the real story. So you find it's better just to be neutral uh, about the stories that you may hear for the potential cause of of the strife. Correct. That helps you as a humanitarian aid worker to be impartial. Yes, it helps me to provide assistance purely based on need. When we're talking about 3.5 million people in crisis, why is it do you think that we're not hearing about this story on the news? About three months ago, I remember it being on the news, maybe for a couple of days, but then it just disappeared again. The story's gone. 
Well, I don't know how the news works, but the news, you know, just wants the next best thing. I guess this is the life that we have these days. It's, 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 not, um, a, it's not a big, exciting disaster. Yeah. So the news is going to move on quickly. Since it's it. going on and on and on, you know, people want people the next dying. exciting thing. Yeah. Not a lot of people are dying, but people are dying emotionally. People are... People are probably dying in the country mm-hmm. from all the violence and malnutrition. The diseases. I guess there's also the dilemma that we have so many crises going on at the same time, mm-hmm. which, uh, which makes it difficult. Which one should we prioritize? Which one sh- we shouldn't? But um, I'm thankful to be with Adra because even when the media is out of it, we are still there. How can our listeners help with the situation uh, in Venezuela and the people who have migrated out of the country and are in such desperate needs? Well, we currently have a refugee and IDP fund that you can donate to. If I wanted to donate this afternoon, what would I need to do? First, you can call Crystal. This week, you can call Crystal at this week I, I made a donation <laughs> and I just called Crystal and she took my credit card number and that made it very easy. Uh-huh. Yes, you can either call or you can go online, adra.ca slash refugees. Preferably online, right? You no. don't want too many calls. But if you do want to, if you do want to call and speak to Crystal, the number is one 274 Especially if you're French, you can. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. if you're French, Crystal would be happy to take a yeah. call. Or okay. you can mail us. Yeah, you can, you mail, can mail us a, a check and just well. yeah, make a, a note that you wanted to go to the refugee and IDP fund. Um, and yeah, again, the the website is adra.ca/refugees. So Anita, I see you have a lot of photos on your phone. If you could send me some of those, we'll put them up at our website to go along with this podcast. Our podcast listeners, if they'd like to see some of your photos, can come to adra.ca/podcast and click on the thumbnail there for Refugee Day and Venezuela. And if you're listening to this on uh, iTunes or Mm-hmm. The Windows podcast thing. Yeah. Uh, there, there'll be a link in this podcast description yes. to see mm. these photos. Yeah, great. Mm. All right, Anita, thank you so much for uh, joining us and telling us about um, the situation uh, in Venezuela and how ADRA is helping in Colombia. And I know that also the ADRA network is communicating with other countries that Venezuelans have fled to. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. And uh, so we expect a good ADRA network response to this crisis. And uh, and we're looking now to our donors to uh, help us with the funding that we need to uh, help these people. And we also pray for stability in the country so that we can help the people that haven't been able to leave. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. And perhaps one day we'll be able to work more directly in the country itself and, and meet the people in their their homeland as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. I enjoyed my first <laughs> podcast. Yeah, you did great. Yes, <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, thank you, everyone. And thank you for joining us on the podcast, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.